Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Oh, Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday. We got a recap, an actual football game. The USC Trojans were hosting the Rice Owls in the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Put an absolute beat down on the team from Conference USA coming out from Houston, 66 to 14. So we're going to talk about everything we saw in that game uh, with Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde, or go to his website, harveyhyde.com, for all of his content. We've been waiting uh, nine long months since we got the exciting news that USC had hired Lincoln Riley, but we just got a lot of great offseason stuff happening. Didn't get to see what was actually happening on a Saturday afternoon, but we got to see that. It was a really hot one out there at the Coliseum. I was out there early. We did a little tailgate party. Had a lot of fun. Great to meet a ton of USC fans, so if you were out there, thanks for that. And if you went to the game, kudos to you, because I know it was really hot in the stands. Lots of water was consumed and lots of touchdowns were scored in the Coliseum. So we're going to talk about all that with the coach Harvey Hyde. If you have any questions or comments for the show, these are getting really heated right now. We're doing a ton of shows every week. So make sure you send your questions in. Let us know which show, if it's the Harvey Hyde show or me and Chris show or the two-star recruiting podcast show, just tell us in the subject, which show it's for, and then say, send it to podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you can call or text us at 424-254-9141. We got a few voicemails to get to today. A bunch of emails, and of course, we're going to pick Harvey Hyde's brain. If you're following us on any of the podcasting apps, thank you for doing that. If not, please do subscribe, follow us, and if there's a way to leave a five-star rating, that does help grow the show. If you haven't rated this show for a while or you never have, you know, just take a minute of your day and rate the show, especially on Apple Podcasts. It really does help grow, and if you have some friends that are USC football fans, you're at the water cooler at work, let them know, hey, man, you should check out the Peristyle Podcast. Those guys know know what they're talking about, or at least entertaining, or maybe none of that. But hopefully, you like the show enough that you're listening to it now. Tell some friends about it, and we do appreciate that. All right, well, let's bring in someone that I appreciate very much, Coach Harvey Hyde. I don't know which season this is for us, Coach, but we're like 15 or something like that, 14 seasons, something something along those lines. But it's been a, a pleasure doing all these shows with you, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say about the 2022 USC Trojans. But welcome in, Coach. How are you? Ryan, I'm doing great. You know, you uh, always talk about the opening game of the year, and but this game was bigger than any opening game of the year that the Trojans have had recently. There's been such hype on Lincoln Riley and the team and the portal and all of the above that I think so many people, including the rest of the nation, wanted to see what was happening in Southern California in the Coliseum, and everyone had that opportunity yesterday. So I'm raring to go, and whatever you want to talk about, you know I'm ready to go. Yeah, we got to see, like you said, we got the opportunity to kind of see um, what was going on in the Coliseum. I, there's a lot to get to, like I said at the top, 66-14, to 14, uh, USC destroys uh, Rice. There's a lot of cool highlights from the, you know, the three pick sixes, Caleb Williams debut, Jordan Addison scoring a couple of touchdowns, a lot of cool stuff to get to. But I wanted, you notice, when I talk to you about games, you notice things that I don't watch that I think a lot of people don't as a former head coach when you're talking about, you know, if, if the offensive coordinator is not talking to the starting quarterback on the sidelines, things like you're noticing that I'm not really. Just in the, as far as game management goes, maybe the way they gathered at the end of the third quarter and all came together uh, before the fourth quarter kicked off, whatever it was, any kind of things you noticed just from the way the game was managed with personnel, coaches, and everything on the sidelines? Well, the game was completely managed differently. First of all, you have Lincoln Riley, who's the quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator, and the head football coach. So he's got a lot of responsibilities. And if you notice the way he calls the game, he has a little three-by-five card in his hand, which means he knows the offense. He knows the adjustments. He knows what to look for. He didn't have to search on a card for what the next play is. But he helped put it together. When the play is actually being run, he's not looking at that play. He's looking at what's happening in other areas and how they're reacting to it so that he can come back and he has direct contact with the quarterback, Caleb Williams. They've been together forever. 
And that brings so much confidence to the offensive team as far as the receivers. The substitutions are running in and off of the field. You never have a delay a game. You don't really even know who's in the game to go in and out so fast. And he gets everybody lined up, and they snap the ball, and it happens. And I think that's what's important when you don't have a delay a game. You end the end of the first half with still three timeouts. You don't have many penalties. You have maybe one holding penalty the entire game. Uh, I mean, really. You look at those type of things and you say, hey, now, now you've got a football team that looks like it's been practicing. It looks like it's been coached. You have an opportunity to watch an offensive line perform and evaluate some of them uh, along the way. Uh, so, you know, you watch all those different things and you see what type of coaching is being done on the sideline when the players come out of the game and who they go to and what's being said to them. So there's a lot of things like that and a lot of different things that are going on as far as the way they approach the game as far as the way they come into the Coliseum, and they're very casual-like. They're almost like an NFL team. You wear what you want. You walk in. If you want headsets, that's fine. If you want to be in shorts, that's fine. If you want to be in Levi's, that's fine. That's the way the NFL works. You don't have to be in all certain type of shirts or jerseys or coat and tie, any of that. Uh, But when it's time to kick off and it's time to play, that's when you turn the clock on, and that's when you turn it up. And, And that's his philosophy, and after the game, too, Family and friends are on the field talking with everybody. Pictures are being taken, just like an NFL game. It isn't like the normal rah-rah college football scene that you see. So I notice all of that, and I notice that all its emphasis is on what's happening on the field and what's happening on the football uh, segment of it completely. And he does a great job of managing that. The only time I saw him get a little bit concerned about the defense was the opening part of the game. He turns out all over to the defensive coordinator is when Rife was moving the ball a little bit. He sort of looked down there, like to say what's going on, but never said anything unless he communicated with him through the headsets. But it was a great, uh, great uh, game to watch in an opening game. Now we will have a lot more to evaluate, too, on the, on the football program, but I think it was a great way to open the season as far as with people believing, melting, getting together from all different types of programs. I just thought it was super. Yeah, no, I, I wanted to get your take on it, and I know you noticed those things, and it just looked like it was a, a buttoned-up organization, right? People knew what they were doing. There wasn't running in and out like, wait, wait, what do we do now? Like It just seemed like it was – so they had a group, they had a great plan – and they coached the players, and the players went out and did what they were supposed to do. It's just like, wow, that's what this is supposed to look like. Um, so that was good uh, overall. But let's start on the offensive side of the ball, Coach. Of course, the debut for Caleb Williams, the uh, transfer quarterback from Oklahoma. Uh, 19 of 22, 249 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he had one. He was sacked once, had a lot of time. You could talk about the offensive line, what they played like. I think at least one of those incompletions was a drop. Um, that I saw, but they, you know, he got a lot of different receivers involved. Jordan Addison, you know, had 54 yards on five catches, a couple of touchdowns. Tosh Washington actually had the most yardage, uh, four catches for 65 yards. I was a little surprised the way they kind of used him a bunch, but you know, they had backs catching the ball in the backfield. Uh, Caleb Williams ends up being your leading rusher with, uh, six carries for 68 yards. Um, you know, Austin Jones gets in the end zone a couple of times. Uh, we saw Rayleigh Brown with a Heisman moment that, you know, he had, to, you know, some catches and, and runs and looked good. And Travis Dye was sort of like, he only had five carries, but, you know, he just sort of was like four or five yards a carry kind of guy and just being a workhorse dude. So it overall just seemed like a really efficient um, offensive output. And I thought Caleb Williams had a lot of time to kind of do what he wanted uh, when the first string offensive line was in there. It just didn't seem like he was pressured at all. He could assess the situation and, make a decision sometimes it was take off and run and get out of bounds but he he can really move man and he obviously throws a really nice football but I don't know what you could take away from this offense coach besides like holy cow they know what they're doing um but yeah get get, sorry I get long intro there what do you what give me your thoughts on the offense coach well you know you've been doing this like you said earlier a long time with me and how how long have I been telling you with the offense that they are running you've got to have an athletic quarterback that spreads the field. In the past, in their air raid attack, or what they called air raid attack, they had their quarterback always in the pocket, never ran, never bootlegged, never did anything that they were doing yesterday. He wasn't a threat as a running back or a runner. 
So they knew where he was, and the defense would just line up and go after him, and that's why they got their quarterback hurt every week, or not every week, every year. And then they had no imagination of what was going on. But yesterday you saw everybody being a part of the offense. The offense was designed. You've got an athletic quarterback that can run bootleg, that does the run-read, zone-read so well you don't know who has the ball. He's not afraid to run, and he's a great athlete. So that opens the field up and stretches the whole field for a defense to try to cover all that. It's almost impossible. But as you said, so many great skilled players as far as not only in the backfield but also on the receiver side of it. In fact, I made a comment yesterday. If you change all the jerseys and you were sitting up high and you didn't know what number was on who, it'd be tough for you to find out who is who because they're all great receivers. They all played well. So they all complement each other, and that's what's made them better players in practice, too, because they compete every single day because they're evaluating themselves against other great players. And this is what's made them better. And obviously you can see that when you watch them play, that they've been there before, that practiced in, 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 in camp. They've hit in camp. They've, they know what their body is. It feels like to get hit, and they're not jumping off sides or doing all the different things that, you know, use a timeout or have a delay a game after a timeout. Well, I mean, I didn't understand how some of those things could happen. But now it looks clean, and that's what we all look for, clean, and an athletic quarterback like that that can run and throw the football. Remember also, Ryan, he threw one out of bounds when he's being, when nobody was open, so you can take that away too. So he had a wonderful day, and he didn't have to throw the ball every single down, which is great. So they're not going for stats, and in the past everyone talked about stats and how many yards somebody got in passing and this and that. All they're talking about is a W. And the W, what's important, and the defensive side of the football, we'll talk about that later, but the morale of the football team's got to be pretty good when they watch the film. I would think so, Coach. Um, I don't know how your morale would be low after something like this. I mean, you can always try to find something you need to work on. Uh, but, yeah, it looked clean to me. It just looked like guys were schemed open, which we hadn't seen before. You don't need to – well, you got Drake London. Throw it to him while he's double-covered, double and he'll make a play. This was, oh, everybody's kind of running to the left, and then Tosh Washington's running to the right, and Caleb Williams turns around, and he's wide open, and you throw him the ball, and he runs for some yards, and you move the chains. And it just seemed like, oh, that was a really smart play. That was a, that was a great plan. Uh, but I, I wanted to comment, and maybe the best testament of how well the offensive line did was the beginning of the fourth quarter when they brought in Miller Moss and put in a whole new line. They got like three penalties on that one drive, and one of them was declined, but... Uh, they didn't look very good the, the the first time the new line came in, but the first team the first team line um, and you you had some rotation going on at left tackle with Cortland Ford and Bobby Haskins, but those top six guys looked really good to me. Um, there wasn't much pressure, like I said, there was one sack on Caleb Williams, and sometimes you kind of get used to having so much time that maybe you can get a little cute back there or whatever. I'm not saying you did that, but um, there was a lot. You know, most of the time, he had options. He could you know, rolling out and kind of surveying the field. Oh, there's somebody wide open. There's not, well, I could squeeze this in here or I can just scramble, you know, you know, scramble for 12 yards and pick up the first down. It seemed like he could do what he wanted. And I think a lot of it had to do with how well the offensive line played. But I know you love watching the offensive line, so I wanted to get your thoughts on how they played. Well, I thought they played well, and you gave them a chance. In the past, they used to feel sorry for them, but they knew it was pass every down or this and that, and they really never had an opportunity. Now you can keep a defensive lineman off balance, and I think that's really important, uh, the way they play, and they play as a unit. And I think the second unit that came in, they were a bunch of young kids, and they're nervous. They're nervous. For their, they're on the stage now for their first you know, performance, and they're going to be on film, and everybody's going to evaluate them. So, you know, you're a little bit nervous. They haven't had the reps that the first guys have had, so you got to give them a break a little bit. When they come in there, they got to, be, you know, get used to playing with each other. So, and I think one kid is the one that got two holding penalties or whatever, but, you know, he'll learn from that. You'll show it to him on film, and, and that's just part of being able to teach and learn off of the film that you were successful with. And when you've been able to play everybody, like you had the second group of linemen in there, now the room is more attentive and not sitting down and just saying, oh, I don't have to, I'm not even on film, I just have to watch these other guys. No, 
everybody played just about. Almost everybody played that was dressed, and this is what makes it a good film to watch and, on top of that, a victory. Yeah, getting all those guys in, um, everyone playing, like you said, everyone playing that was dressed. Before we go to the defensive side of the ball, I was talking to Shotgun about this on Instant Analysis. When you could blow out teams and get empty the bench early in the season, I mean, if this is going to happen multiple times in the year, you get a whole bunch of guys playing time that they normally wouldn't have, Not only, and you'd save, you know, save reps on your starters too. But that's something that USC just been bad at when they've squeaked by and won games by little that they should have won by a lot. And people say, well, the win's a win. Well, it's not necessarily that way. If you could have blown them out, you could have really helped your team for the future. And I feel like this is one of those opportunities where you just help your team in the future because you were able to get a whole bunch of guys in and empty the bench. Well, you're exactly right, Ryan. The other In the past years, they haven't been able to cut off the head of their opponent, okay? Make him surrender, throw the right flag out there. I have to give Rice credit. They never really quit. They played hard the entire game. But again, you've got to evaluate how good Rice is. But to play a lot of people like they did, and when you look at the defensive side, the defensive side really contributed a lot. Remember, I used to tell the defensive players when I was coaching that, hey, we can score as many points as the offense. We can recover fumbles. We can return fumbles for touchdowns. We can return interceptions for touchdowns. And that all happened. And when you experience those type of things, the morale and the defense feels a bigger part of being a part of that football game. You look at that, 21 points came from the defense's effort. And that normally doesn't happen. So it's a combination of how they play defense, the adjustments they made. I thought they made great adjustments on the defensive side of the football, which allowed that to happen. Yeah, I was going to mention the adjustment part of it. Because early on, if you're watching Twitter, there's a lot of, I guess, angst towards the, uh, you know, towards the defense. I mean, USC comes down, surgical drive, scores, you know, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Boom. I think they converted converted a couple of short third downs, but didn't look like they were in danger of being stopped. And then Rice goes on. I think they converted four of four third downs on their drive. Uh, you know, eight-minute touchdown drive. And you're just like, if you're looking at, hey, you want to blow this team out, well, you've used almost the whole first quarter, and it's tied. You know, the USC offense did everything they could, but then the defense kind of took a while. Um, so I think some people were getting a little, you know, upset with the defense, but over time, I mean, they, you know, they were taking some chances. They were batting balls. They were, you know, making plays, obviously three pick sixes, which is a ties a USC record and a PAC 12 record um, for, you know, pick sixes in a, in a game. And actually the USC game, I think it was 1981. They said in the press box coach, it was Arizona. And back then this was probably, you probably remember this from your days. If you had, uh, you couldn't return a fumble unless it was in the air. So it was sort of counted as a pick six. It was really one of them was really a fumble, not an interception, but it was returned for a touchdown, and they kind of count that as a you know as an interception return for a touchdown. Then, but we don't do that now. You can return fumbles if they're on the ground; doesn't matter. But um, you know, historic effort. Like you, just, you know, how long has the Pac-12 been around? How long USC has been around? You've never seen that before. That's pretty crazy, <laughs> something like that to happen. But uh, the adjustments, I felt. After you get a couple drives under your belt, you know, Rice scores a couple touchdowns. They only score, they don't score in the second half, and they, I think they get one first down total. So besides the scoring, I think the defense got a lot more stops and a lot more third down stops. And, uh, you know, that's, like you said, making adjustments after halftime is something not we haven't been used to uh, watching USC football. Right. If you're going to beat USC, you're going to hold the ball and keep it away from their powerful offense. And that's what they were doing. So they had to make some adjustments because they were throwing, like you said, the third down plays and throwing underneath the covers. And what they were doing is a lot of blitzing and a lot of twisting, a lot of things that they were doing in the front. And they weren't getting to the quarterback. The quarterback would throw short passes or whatever, and they had nobody in front of the receivers. But they stopped doing that, and they went to basically their three- and four-man rush put some pressure on the guy, and the guy isn't going to scramble and beat you. They knew that. And then with the underneath cover with the linebackers and so on, that's where the tips came. In fact, two linebackers were dropping back and ran them back for touchdowns. So the adjustments they did with their coverages and how they played it was a lot different than what they did early in the game, and that's made the difference as far as the adjustments and interceptions they got. That is a really interesting point, Coach, because I felt like they were trying to bring, you know, do some stuff up in the front and – Rice was either running the ball and kind of gashing you up the middle a little bit or dumping it off and kind of, you know, there was nobody there. And then, you know, you, you have to try to make an open field tackle. 
just by, you know, rushing three or four guys, some athletic dudes, get some pressure uh, with those guys and then dropping more guys in the coverage. Guys are, in, you know, taking away some of that underneath stuff. Uh, you get the guy like Luke McCaffrey is not catching as many easy balls. And uh, like you said, you know, you get your hands on balls. You see a guy like Eric Gentry, you know, getting pressure and forcing things to happen. Corey Foreman getting some pressure, forcing things to happen. And then, you know, you take advantage of it and you make a play. You're in the right place at the right time. And you uh, you pick the ball off and return for a touchdown. I mean, the two linebacker ones with Raylan Goforth and uh, Shane Lee, you got to be really happy for those guys. But Kalen Bullock, number seven, we remember talking about him being double sticks. Uh, I think Rice had a, a run up the middle that was like a 40 or 50-yard run, and, and it looked like he was going to score. And Caleb Bullock comes out of nowhere and runs him down and tackles him in the red zone, but he tackles him, saves the touchdown. And then a few plays later, he takes advantage and the tip pass and he picks it off and returns it all the way for a touchdown. So, you know, that's one of those effort plays, coach. If he doesn't make that play to get the tackle, he doesn't have the opportunity to return it the other way. And that, you know, that was one of those things where Rice kind of was believing they could still do this, you know, if a few things fall their way. And that pick six happens and then you kind of felt like, yeah, this is <laughs> this isn't happening, Rice. Sorry. Well, that's one of those athletes you can't keep off the field. And I was telling you last year that this kid's going to be the next great secondary player to come out of USC. He only played uh, part of the time last year. I watched him in practice last year when we could get into practice, and he's going to be a great player. And the only way he becomes a great player is to play him. So he learns to react. But the, uh, what was impressive, he was a receiver, too, in high school at John Muir. And you could see the way he ran with the football. He knew exactly how to use his blockers when he went down the field. And it was a very, very 93 yards, I think it was, 93-yard return, which was done with real style. And uh, I, I like that, and that's what ignites the defense, where the defense starts to believe, and the offense gets involved. There was a period of time the offense wasn't even on the field. The defense was doing all the scoring. And that's got to be a great feeling as far as with the defensive side and the defensive coaches. You would think so. And uh, just you know, talking afterwards, Lincoln Riley, the first thing he said you know, out of his mouth was the three pick sixes. He's like, you know, been around playing football a long time. Never seen anything like that. Uh, you know, Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator, talking about that, just being aggressive and um, really trying to, you know, create opportunities for your defense. And it's not always going to work that way. Sometimes you, a ball gets tipped and a, a receiver downfield catches it, you know, and takes it in for a touchdown. Like sometimes that happens, but you're, you're being aggressive and you're, you're giving the defense opportunities to make plays. Um, now you hit three of them, which is rare. Like obviously, that doesn't happen very much. But you had to kind of create those that luck, right? Like there's turnover luck. You had to create that by you know bringing pressure and having guys in the right spots, and and you have good athletes out there, and they were all able to. It's just crazy to think all three of those guys, you know, making the interceptions hard enough, and then returning it. You know, 93 yards, like you said, with Kalen Bullock. You know, Shane Lee was saying he was just trying not to get caught from behind. He gets hit inside the five, but still manages to get into the the end zone and then Raylan go forth. I think he hit Corey Foreman was the one that got some pressure on the one that go forth picked off and uh, returned for a touchdown. So his, his path was a little clearer, but yeah, that's, I mean, you got to create your own luck sometimes. It seems like this defense was doing that. Well, it's being at the right place at the right time. Okay. It's being, uh, if the old, uh, a lot of football players out there know the old tip drill or coaches that are out there and learn to react to a tip play, a, a ball and react to it and make the interception or, Whatever you have to do, even if you're a receiver, the ball sometimes gets tips and you got to go out and get it like a basketball rebound. And uh, you see it always, the coaches doing that, and they did it, and it worked. And fortunately, they had three in one game, which brings a lot of confidence up, and they'll coach off of that. And the quarterback from Rice was trying to throw through linebackers. You don't throw through linebackers because they're in the right spot, and they tried to throw through the linebackers instead of having let the receiver slide to the open area, but guys are in the proper position. So the back side of the, the back four, the safety of the corners and so on, were there to make plays with tips and so on. A lot of times the ball never got through the linebackers' coverages, and that's where they made the interceptions. Yeah. I wanted to, uh, special teams, get some thoughts there. I didn't get to see a lot as far as kickoff returns go because Rice didn't score that much. But um, we got to see you know Dennis Lynch, the new place kicker, who dressed in like a black turtleneck and chain and looked looked like the rock it was pretty funny what he you know he's got a lot of personality really popular kid on the team but beat out Alex Stathouse who was still doing the kickoffs uh but they like Dennis Lynch's leg and I guess he was a little more consistent uh in camp even though Stathouse had a great 
year last year. Didn't miss a kick when he was in there. Um, we only got to see one punter from Aiden Sleep Dalton. Um, yeah, it wasn't very good. It was a 26-yard punt. Uh, but that was his only chance um, after uh, the, it was in the fourth quarter when the, uh, the second string team uh, couldn't, couldn't get the, keep the drive going. But overall thoughts, like on special teams, Coach, what you, what you saw from the special teams you're out there. Because just to let everyone know, they don't have a special teams coordinator anymore. It's kind of a, like a by-committee thing. So anything you notice from any of the special teams? Well, I thought they did all right. I mean, it's what they were able to do as far as punting the football. Like you said, that's unfortunate, but I'd make sure I'd tell the punter it's more like you would need to relax a little bit. You wouldn't be here on our football field if we didn't think you could punt, son. So I'd go up there and stand, and I'd have a lot of punting drills with him have, facing live rush, live rush. I think he panicked, he and live rush coming at him and so on, and took his eye off the ball, and it slipped off the side of his foot. So you got to work on that, because in big games, you're going to get beat with that type of field position. So I think that needs to be worked on. As far as the place kicking was place kicker was concerned, he put him right down the middle for the extra points, and I think that's all you're asking for. So they know who the best guy is, and obviously they're going to use the best guy. So I don't have much to say about that. Now on the punt returns, I think Gary Bryant uh, went in later on, and Bryant, Bryant, and I think that you know he could be used more than what they're using him. And uh, I don't know if I'd put. Uh, Jordan Addison back there as far as uh, returning punts, not that he can't return them, but I think you've got to give a lot of your great receivers an opportunity to play in special positions such as kickoff returning and other things. You basically don't see many kickoff returns anymore because the ball is going into the end zone or being fair caught. So, uh, you know, these are the things. uh, It's very hard to to, uh, evaluate the kicking game since there wasn't much to it. Yeah, there was. I mean, I didn't think it was, you know, amazing, but you know, this it's hard to evaluate in a game like this. Uh, but we'll see going forward. I mean, I think, like you said, punter just came. I mean, he's been in, in the country for like a month or something. <laughs> it comes from Australia. First game, Coliseum, hundred degrees outside. Uh, I, I'll give him a pass fee. Shanks went off his foot. We'll see what he does in the Stanford game. Uh, you might not see him that much. I don't know. I did. I had a tweet about like, hey, what do you guys think of the punter? It was like late in the third quarter, like because we hadn't seen him yet. Um, at least we got to see him. He exists. Uh, we got to see him in practice. Uh, you know, that's, it's just one of those things like, does USC even have a punter? Yes, they have one. Uh, so hopefully he does a better job going forward. All right. Why don't we take a quick break? Cause we got a bunch of questions to get to too. And we'll probably get more of your thoughts on the game uh, after that. So back in a minute, guys. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast with the coach, Harvey Hyde, breaking down USC's 66-14 beatdown of the Rice Owls. We got some voicemails to get to. Why don't we jump right in with a voicemail, coach? I'll play it for you and get your thoughts. Good day. A happy Monday, a real happy Monday. Uh, This is Al from uh, PA. I just want to say that I think this is the smartest quarterback we have ever had. I mean, just listening to how he said he wanted to improve his mechanics, having his feet follow his eyes, and I watched it, and he did that. I watched other games. Quarterbacks didn't do that so much. But he made the right reads. He made audibles. It was incredible. He ran the ball when he should, and he passed it and handed it off when he should. This this looks really good. And also, if if Lincoln Riley never has anyone, uh, any fans at practice, that's fine with me. Because practice is like a classroom. We don't need distractions. We don't have distractions in classrooms. You can't play music. You don't have a bunch of people peeking in on you. Because these guys are young and they get distracted by pretty girls and all that. They need to focus and it showed in the game. So that's it. Fight on and thanks for the show. It's great as always. Well, thank you very much, and I'm glad you're enjoying your Labor Day. Kick back and relax. <coughs> excuse me. A nice big win for the Trojans, and uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> and I agree with you. I think people should be excited about the performance of the Trojans. And what am I going to say about Caleb Williams? I mean, he's a uh, he's uh, cool. You never see him excited. You never see him, no matter if the play's positive or negative. You don't see him make any facial type of. Uh, facial type of or arm type of uh, gestures. And uh, even when it's a great play, 
by any of the players yesterday. I didn't see a lot of celebration going on. It's like the old saying we used to say, act like you've been there before. And I think I saw that, and I think I saw a lot of changing as far as the celebration of making a great play, which I like. That's what you're out there to do is make great plays. And I think if you keep that under control, you'll have a better team uh, morale, and you will look like a football player and a football team. And he, he directs that now because that's the type of leadership he brings. And same with Lee on the defensive side of the football. Man, we've been here before. Don't act like a fool. Let's just get done what we have to do and get off the field. And uh, I like that type of attitude, and I like uh, what I saw. And uh, I think that now you need – this is the biggest improvement week now. Between the first game and the second game is where you improve the most because you have film and everything to show everybody as far as – what you actually did on tape and what you did right, what you did wrong, when you didn't play hard, when you did play hard. And uh, this is when you make that decision maybe that you made maybe made a wrong decision on before. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see uh, the Stanford game. And, of course, Stanford had a win over Colgate, which uh, they should have. And just like USC had a win over Rice, which they should have. And now we'll find out what happens in what I call the Clay Helton firing game. See yes. if they can come back and get it done against Stanford at Stanford. They have to. All right. We got our buddy, Sergeant Strong, uh, Army retired, U.S. Army retired sergeant. Says, hello, gang. It's been a while. I must say that the first quarter made me realize that Clay Helton era gave me PTSD. The way Rice was moving the ball on SC's defense, I got nervous and a little upset that I had to turn the game off for a few minutes because it was so frustrating to watch. I truly felt like I was watching a Clay Helton-led USC team in that, the first, in that first quarter, but after I regained my composure, I turned the TV on and saw a 21-7 score. It was like, I was like, okay, maybe this is going to be truly a new team under Coach Riley. And boy, let me tell you, this team played so amazing after the first quarter. If we can continue with this momentum and actually play like this all season, I feel that the USC football team could do something great for the Trojan family. What do you guys think uh, was the cause of such sloppy first quarter play on defense? Thank you guys for all you do. And can't wait for the Stanford game to get here. Fight on, Sergeant Strong. Well, we mentioned it earlier. I, I think that they had to relax, and they were doing a different type of attack. They were going to try to go after them. And when you have a running game and you run out of twists and you run out of blitzing defense, if you break through the line of scrimmage, uh, then you have secondary guys making tackles. And that's where they made a lot of their runs as far as running the football. And also when they were trying to blitz and so on, they didn't have the coverage that they did later on in the game. So they got away from that, and they played straight, and they did a great job at doing that. And I think they gained a lot of confidence along the way because when you learn to play the game the hard way, without doing certain twists and stunts and so on to try to fool somebody, you gain a lot of confidence. So they learned to do that, and now they can use that other part of their defense when they need it. you got to mix it up, but you don't do too much of one thing because people get used to that, and then they start calling their plays and audibles to uh, – go against that. Like I mentioned earlier, as far as uh, Lincoln Riley watching uh, away from the play, not necessarily watching the play itself, but seeing what other people were doing with that type of action started. All right, let's go to another voicemail, Coach. Hey, Ryan, this is Brian of Birmingham. I just wanted to say it was a wonderful surprise watching USC play yesterday, and the offense was exactly as advertised, especially with Caleb Williams. It was nice seeing him have literally all day to throw the ball. And when he was under pressure, he used his ability to get up and step away from the pressure. Um, running back, stepping up into the hole, taking on blocks, finishing them. The only thing I can say is I'm worried about the defense a little bit like everyone else probably is. I want to know what our team's made of whenever uh, the offense isn't clicking, everything's not going as well. Um, thank you. Fight on. Well, you know, that's everybody's concern because that's the impression you had early in the game, and I'm not saying they're off the hook. I think they got to get a lot better on defense, especially up front. they got to get after the quarterback. they got to pursue harder. they got to play harder. But, again, uh, that's just part of the game. You can only play as long as your talent is playing as hard as they can play and you can put them in a position where they can win, that's all you can ask for. Now, I don't know if they have any number one draft choices in the NFL playing on the defensive line. At least they didn't yesterday. But you got to get them playing as a unit in a break so there's no breakdowns. Where guys do their assignments so that they cover up for each other. 
So, yeah, it's going to be tough. But, again, if they play together and they do what they're supposed to do and they make the proper adjustments and so on, they become a, a unit on the defensive side of the football, which helped them yesterday with their success as far as in the back end, it'll come. But it's going to take time, and I think Stanford's going to try to run at them. I'm going to tell you this right now. They're going to try to run at them because they want the clock to run down, and they're going to try to get their running game going and get a little play action going. That's the first thing I would do if I was playing USC. And uh, we'll see what happens. But again, uh, yep, they've got some improvement to do, not only on defense, but offense in all areas. But again, on the defensive side, we know defense wins championships. And if your offense isn't on the field, the other's offensive team is. So you got to get them off. Yep. Uh, we got Jack in New Jersey wrote in. I'm not ready to you, and you guys in several months. I just wanted to wait until after the first game. And man, the wait was worth it. That's what I call USC football. Not perfect, but so much better what we've seen the past few years under the knucklehead Helton. Caleb was awesome. The receiving core is an embarrassment of riches. Kyle Ford starts on most Division I schools, and he has trouble finding playing time. A running game actually existed. I hope Ray League Brown's injury is not too serious. That kid was more than advertised yesterday. The defense looked much more intense. Just an overall aura of what a quality Division I football team is supposed to look like. The worst part of yesterday is that Oregon got blown out, and Utah lost to Florida. Uh, the Notre Dame loss also hurts for strength of schedule, but not as much as the Utah loss. If anyone had doubts about USC going in the Big Ten, they should not after Saturday's results. I know it's still early, but the USC fan base should have reason for a lot of optimism for the Pac- for a Pac-12 championship this year. Jack from New Jersey, a very happy USC fan again. Oh, I'm sure you guys are. And uh, Utah, I'm, I'm really... Uh... I feel bad for Utah, but their playmaker himself threw that interception, the quarterback, and rising, and uh, they could have beaten Florida there at the end of the game. They just got tried to throw it through people. You can't throw it through people. And they had enough time to run, I think, two plays or so on to win that football game, but it just didn't happen. Now, Oregon, uh, they just got outclassed. I'm just being honest with you. Uh, they got blown out. They were never in the game at all, and uh, Georgia uh, is a great football team. I'm telling you, they just locked, reloaded, and let it go. Kirby Smart believes in having great players, and they do it. In fact, in my poll that I put out every week, I have oh, I had Ohio State uh, number two. Now I have Georgia number two and Alabama number one, obviously, uh, because of what I saw in the Georgia-Oregon game. Now, Oregon State is on USC's schedule, and they play them at Oregon State, and Oregon State looked good last night against Boise State. So there'll be some struggles on the road when you go to Utah and you go to Oregon State. So you take and you're going to Stanford. You just can't take one game for granted because if you're not there and you're not getting it done, somebody can upset you. Because remember, you're SC and they charge the most ticket, most money on the tickets when you play there. Yeah. I, what I would say is don't get ahead of yourself. Remember last year? I mean, a lot of people don't want to remember last year. They fired Clay Helton. So there's optimism. Dante Williams takes over, says he's going to change the culture, do all these things. People are excited. Uh, you go up to the Palouse and get a win, which ended up being the best win of the season for USC, getting a you know a good Washington State team, a bowl, a bowl team in Washington State. You get a win there. And they were talking about, well, can the USC bounce back? Can you make the playoff? Like all this talk was happening like in week, you know, after week three. And I was just like, I it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um they're like, Are you gonna you gonna retain Dante Williams if if uh, USC goes to the national <laughs> like all this talk was going on. It's week one. If you're worried about strength of schedule in week one that Utah lost and Oregon lost and Notre Dame lost, you have to worry about USC. Like, yes, here's the thing. If USC is good enough to make a run at the college football playoff, I don't think you need to worry about the rest of the Pac-12. People are willing to believe that USC is a playoff team. They're willing to believe that USC is an elite team. If USC shows it on the field, I don't think it matters what the rest of the Pac-12 does. Just beat all those teams, and you'll get in. They're not going to keep a USC team out. Now, if it was a Utah team, and, and USC was supposed to be good, and Oregon was supposed to be good, and they both stink, Utah would probably not get the benefit of the doubt. If there's like a, you know, if Georgia's got one loss and Utah's undefeated, like will you put Georgia in because their only loss was to Alabama that was close? You know, something like that. Yes, I think for USC, if they take care of their business, they're fine. So I wouldn't. That would be the last thing I would worry about is strength of schedule stuff right now. It's more about if USC does well, they don't really need anyone else around them. They'll just do well, and then people will believe that they're good and get in. They might not even deserve to get in, but if they're undefeated, they're getting in. Like I don't think there's a question about that. 
Well, I tell you, there's a lot of games to play, and if you start like you mentioned, get it too far ahead of yourself, that it, it isn't going to happen. So, you know, when you think about playoffs, people just relax for a minute, okay? Yeah. <laughs> just, just relax. There's a lot of football is uh, to be played before you start talking about playoffs. You better do like I said with the team, one play at a time. And remember, when you uh, have 12 hours, that's right, 12 hours to determine your entire season. From the thousands of hours that you put in to prepare for that season, you can't waste a minute. So that's the way I'll say that and explain that as far as the way I look forward to every game. All right, we got one uh, voicemail, and then we have a few more emails, and we'll get you out of here. Here's the last voicemail. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Very pleased with the win. What a what a team! What an effort! Three pick sixes, fantastic. Curtis from Moreno Valley. What did he say the last sentence? So he's just happy about three pick sixes. Yeah, that's I get it, Curtis. Um, it's nothing. Yeah, you got to be happy about that. It's just something that doesn't happen very often. So, yeah, that's good stuff. Um, not not really a question there. I think he just wanted to, be, to let us know how excited he was. Um, Alex did have a question. He said, "If NFL teams can play twice in the regular season, could we see that happening in college football?" I mean. It's happened, right, when it's a rematch, but I don't think you would ever schedule that because the NFL, you only have 32 teams. So you are you have, you know, the two conferences and playing teams in your division twice. College football, there's a plethora of teams you could play. You don't need to play teams more than once. So I, I wouldn't see that happening. I don't know what you think, Coach. No, I don't see it happening whatsoever because of uh... – of uh, television and, uh, you know, all of the different things that go along with it. You've got rivals that you have to play and and uh, so on. And I wouldn't like it as a coach. I wouldn't like it as a coach having to play the same opponent twice. I just don't think that coaches will vote for it. I don't think athletic directors will do, do it. And, uh, you know, I just uh, – I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it no. will happen. And, like, you know, the NFL is a 17-game season as opposed to 12. Like, yeah, there's just a lot of reasons why that wouldn't happen. This was came from LA Transplant from Diego, and he said this before the first game. And now we kind of know um, what happened, but he he wanted to know is what would disappoint you more on the first game of the season if the defense allowed a score on Rice's first possession, which happened, and it was a long score, an eight minute drive, or an offensive three and out on USC's first possession. I think the offensive three and out would have upset me more, but I'm not not like I get upset, but that's. I think that's what would be the more concerning thing because you know the offense is supposed to be good. What do you think, Coach? Well, I agree. I think that everybody, uh, the the pub of the offense has been unbelievable as far as, you know, getting the top receiver in the country and the quarterback and the running backs and all of the above. The offense always gets the glory. And the defense uh, is supposed to uh, do all the work to get them the ball. Uh, I, I I think that, uh, that that would have been the most uh, disappointing and I think they didn't disappoint you at all. They were as sharp as they could be in that drive, 75 yards. I think it was, what, eight plays or seven plays or whatever it was. Really well done. Really well done and done quickly. It was beautifully done, almost like you would draw it up in a playbook. So the defense, uh, you know, started off a little slow, and as everybody said, and then adjusted. And, again, I think people are concerned and talk about the defense a lot. is because of Rice, as far as an opponent, how good is Rice? And, uh, how, how, you know, is Rice that good? Or, I mean, would Stanford have beaten Rice? Well, personally, my opinion is Bowling Green was better than Rice. But I think that Rice was probably better than Colgate. So, you know, when you look at that, I don't know if that makes any difference. But if you look at your opponents, you know, you got to uh, sort of uh, gauge your opponents and what you're playing against and then move on to the next game. But I think right now Stanford is a challenge. Because I think Stanford and David Shaw wants to beat USC, and they've done that. They've been able to do that. And I think it's a big home game for them. And if you're either at the end of the game, you're either in first place or last place. So I would be selling, hey, I want to be in first place after this game, not last place in the Pac-12. That's a good point, Coach. Uh, I'm still going to stick to my conviction that Stanford's not a good team. Tanner McKee's good. they got some good skill players now. Like They're they're healthier than last year, but I don't think – I don't think they're going to stop USC, but that's just me. We'll get to that when we preview the game later. We've got a couple more to let you go. Uh, most pundits believe USC will, will or should go 10-2 and two or 9-3. and three. Um, How deflating would it be if this team goes 8-4 and four or 7-5? and five? 
That's from Jim. Well, in in Vegas, it's nine and a half. What would you go, Ryan? Would you go nine and a half? Would you bet over or under? So I was nine and three most of the way. Um, not that you take a ton away from this rice game, but I'll play this uh, thing for you. The blast came from the Death Star. That thing's operational. Let the hate flow through you. I think USC, the Death Star, is back. They looked like a complete team that was well-coached, and I know there's concerns on the defensive side of the ball, but you got athletes. You saw them on display. I think this, yeah, I would be very disappointed with something uh, below 9-3. I would go the over now, Coach, just from watching the Rice game. I don't know what you think. Well, I would, I would feel, I feel like you do. I think people would be disappointed if they go 9-3. and three. I think they'd be somewhat satisfied at 10 and 2. Uh I would be satisfied with my first season from a 4 and 8 team going 10 and 2. Uh but you know how people are, you know, they're talking about playoffs and all this type of stuff. Well, you know, you got to do one step. It takes 9 months to have a baby, okay? So give the guy some time. <laughs> give the guy some time, would you Ryan? And and I think what we ought to do is do that, take one game at a time and count them up at the end of the season and see what it is. Yeah. But I do think like USC looks legit again. Uh, when and it kind of goes with my conviction of that all you needed to do was make good hires. All you had to do was make good decisions at the top, and USC would be good. And when you actively go against making smart decisions and you make decisions that are based on other things, like well, he's a nice guy and he won't get in trouble. Like that's not winning football thought. I mean, that's that's not the way you do it. And now you've hired someone that knows what they're doing. You talk to players that are like, wow, fall camp was a lot harder. And I wasn't used to that. But then when Lincoln Riley can point to, well, we had these guys win the Heismans and we went to the playoffs and this is what we did. And then the players go, oh, okay. So you work this hard, but it actually gets you results and it works. I'm willing to do it. And people have bought in. So I feel like that's what's happening now, coach. All you needed was a good leader. They have a good leader. And I think that's why they have the potential to do like a, a four eight to 10 and two season, which, you know, seems really crazy, but the potential's there. Um, well, they, oh, they, go ahead. they let it, they let it get away from them, Ryan. They, the administration let it get away from them. And, uh, they didn't make the corrections that were necessary and the hirings that were necessary. And, uh, I think that the pressures from the boosters and the declining of donations and the sale of tickets and so on, they started to listen. And now they've uh, done what's necessary to compete as far as for national championships and Pac-12 championships. Yeah. So I think that uh, you've got to do that. You've got to want to win. It doesn't just happen. You've got to want to win it. You've got to provide the things that are necessary to have a winning team. Yep. One last one, Mike in the Bay Area. Hey, Ryan, how do you see the touches being distributed amongst the running backs this season? I know Dye's the favorite to start, but with so many weapons at that position, how do you feel? How do you feel? How do you see Riley spreading the ball out, Mike in the Bay Area, and that first game probably wasn't a good indication. I think only 58 plays run by the offense, but they averaged 9.3 yards a play. There just wasn't that many touches to go around, but it was Travis Dye, and then Rayleigh Brown was the next guy coming in. Um, Dye was the only scholarship running back that didn't score a touchdown. Uh, Darwin Barlow came in later and scored. Um, we saw Austin Jones. His first touch was a touchdown. Uh, Barlow's was the same way. So I... It seems like they're going to use, you know, Rayleigh Brown in certain spots. Travis Dye might be the main guy, but they'll use, you know, Austin Jones too. But like I said, there's only 58 plays. We just really didn't get to see a whole lot. Um, but we saw Travis Dye being used in the, you know, the passing game. He did a great job in pass protection. I think that alone is going to get him on the field probably more than some of the other guys. But Brown has so much electricity. I mean, he's just like a, a video game kind of guy. Uh, they're going to do things for him and get him in space, and that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But any thoughts, Coach, on the running backs? I really like the way they played and the way they were used. I think you have the different backs in different situations where you can utilize their skills, and they keep the defense off balance. And I think Brown would, uh, had a tremendous start as far as a freshman out of high school. I think Travis uh, Dye was a, is a great player and doesn't have to prove himself because he's already proven himself in the Pac-12. And uh, I think uh, Jones uh, did a great job. And I think when you look at where they're playing and what they're called upon to do is what's important. I think Barlow, I think he ran better the yesterday than I've ever seen him run 
as a Trojan. Why? Competition and wanting to get on the field. So I think that type of effort will make them all better. And uh, I think depth, depth, when you have that type of depth, uh, and I hope Brown's okay. I really do, because he's a he's a he's really a a baller. He's a guy that wants to play the game, and everything. He really helps the offense. So I liked the backs. I liked all of them and the way they played. Yeah, and we and we're not getting uh, Zoom calls with Lincoln Riley. You know, we would get the head coach Zooms on Sunday evenings. Uh, we're recording this Sunday during the day. We're not getting those anymore. So usually that's where we get kind of our injury updates. So we'll probably have to wait till Tuesday. To get an injury update, but he was really the only injury that he came out. He was carted off the field, had some ankle, had some ice on his ankle. Uh, but that, the people that I talked to didn't seem like they were that concerned with that one being a major injury. So we'll, we should have an update for you guys on Tuesday. Um, and we have one last comment from Nicholas. He says, keep them coming all season long. Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach Hyde is the goat. So uh, thanks, Nicholas. I'm glad you're a fan of the coach. And he'll be coming all season long. So we're having a good time talking about this team. A lot more fun to talk about a team when you're scoring 66 points and getting three pick sixes than when they're losing to Stanford or Oregon State or something like that. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, I know Lincoln Riley, and he doesn't do Zoom on Sunday night. He watches 60 Minutes, okay? <laughs> so I, <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that in there just for some fun. But, uh, no, he won't be watching 60 Minutes because he's got to get ready for the conference opener. And we really appreciate all of you being a part of our show. Believe me, we don't have a show without you. And Ryan, of course, I enjoy doing this with you weekly. And uh, we'll try to be around every week and sort of uh, give you our opinion. Remember, it's just our opinion, and you guys have your opinion. All right. That is the Coach Harvey Hyde. I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast. we got a television show, Sunday Night Recap. And then we'll do a, a show on Tuesday, a podcast on Tuesday with Chris Trevino and myself. Uh, recapping the game, talking about what we heard from practice on Tuesday, Tuesday morning and all that. So um, stay tuned for the rest of the week. Got a whole bunch of shows coming up. We'll preview uh, USC and Stanford. We'll have a whole crew up there uh, up on the farm going to USC Stanford. So you can check out uscfootball.com for all the coverage. And I forgot to mention at the top of the show, you get 75% off a subscription to uscfootball.com right now. Jump in there. Make sure you get it. Take advantage of this. The biggest sale we'll have the whole year. So uh, don't miss this one. But for the coach, I am Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.